So this morning, continuing with our seven shaping virtues, and we're looking at gratitude. And I wonder, have you ever heard the story of the man who went to his local rabbi and complained, life is unbearable. There are nine of us living in one room. What can I do? And without a second thought, the rabbi answered, take your goat into the room with you. The man looked back at him with understandable doubt and confusion. But the rabbi said, do as I say and come back again in a week. Well, seven days later, the man returned, looking even more at his wit's end than before. We just can't stand it, he said. That goat is filthy and smelly. The rabbi replied, go home and let the goat out and come back again in a week. A week later, the man returns radiant. His whole demeanour spells relief and refreshment. How are you now? The rabbi asks. Oh, life is beautiful, the man answered. We enjoy every minute of it now that there is no longer any goat and only the nine of us in our room. Now, listening to that story, we might begin to wonder, is that the secret to feeling grateful in life? Do we all just need to spend a week with a goat to realise how good life is without a goat? More seriously, is the key to a grateful heart to try and find some way of gaining a different perspective on the circumstances of life that we're already in? It's a really important question for us to consider, not just because gratitude is one of the seven shaping virtues that we're looking at in our autumn series, but much more so because again and again, the Bible does call us as God's people to be grateful and thankful. Christians, above all people, are meant to live lives that are distinctly marked by gratitude and thanksgiving. So what is the secret of Christian gratitude? Why is it so important? What reasons do we have to be grateful? And how can we grow in truly being grateful people? Well, as we look at some of the Bible's teaching this morning on gratitude, we're going to try and answer each one of those questions, beginning with why prize and pursue gratitude? That's our first of three questions for this morning. Why prize and pursue gratitude? And the first answer to this question is because it's the proper response to God and his goodness. See, the Bible is positively full and overflowing with exhortations and commands to God's people to continually be grateful and give thanks. Psalm 50 verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. 1 Chronicles 16 verse 34, oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Oftentimes we say we'd like a clearer understanding of God's will for our lives. But it doesn't get any clearer than 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will for us is continual thanksgiving. But it's not just a matter of obedience to God's will. It's also a matter of doing what is right and good. The psalmist, as the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 7 verse 17. He says, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. So it is right to give God thanks and praise. He is worthy of our gratitude. It is his due. 
And Thanksgiving is not just an Old Testament thing as well. It's not just something that pops up in the Psalms. According to Colossians 2 verses 6 and 7, it's also essential for any of us who want to be followers of Christ, who want to grow in following him. Colossians 2 verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You see, whatever else is involved in Christian growth and Christian maturity, abounding in thanksgiving is not just an optional extra, it's essential. And just as we saw in our uh, quite recent series in Colossians, thankfulness is not just essential for our individual lives, it's also essential for our shared life together as a church as well. So much so that it's mentioned three times in three consecutive verses in Colossians 3, beginning in verse 15. Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, this is to the whole church body, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So it's hard to come away from a passage like that without the impression that thanksgiving must be one of the most important ingredients in a church's life and one of the key markers of a church's health. And in case that wasn't already compelling enough and encouraging enough, Thanksgiving is also one of the key evidences of a spirit-filled people. Ephesians 5.18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, as is just clear there in the last part of that, that, those few verses, all truly Christian gratitude is ultimately to be directed Godward. Gratitude should be deeply relational and vertical. Now, it does seem, I think, in recent years that our culture has, has, has kind of latched onto and begun to newly appreciate the benefits of being grateful. Something seen at at the very least, in the rocketing sales of gratitude journals. One stationary website I found this week had 79 different kinds of gratitude journals for you to choose from. And apparently, research shows that people who keep these weekly gratitude journals and uh, they're encouraged to write down five things every day that they're grateful for, apparently they become more optimistic towards life. They spend more time exercising. They have fewer symptoms of physical and mental illness. And that in itself is a good thing. That is a gift, I think, of God's common grace in our culture for which we can be thankful. But it comes with a massive limitation. When people are being strongly encouraged to give thanks, but simply don't know or don't want to know who they truly ought to be thanking. Which leads sadly and I think somewhat soberingly to the second reason why we should prize and pursue God-centered gratitude because ingratitude is a serious and deadly sin. One of the most depressing pictures in all the Bible that it paints for us of the sheer blackness and wickedness of human sin 
is found, I think, in the second half of Romans chapter 1. There, Paul begins to lay out the full extent of our depravity and unrighteousness before God, literally listing some of the the worst sins, the worst crimes a human being could commit against his or her creator. But what's most striking of all is where it all begins, where the wellspring of the human heart first gets poisoned and turns away from God. It all begins according to Romans 1.21, in large part with ungratefulness. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him. Ingratitude towards God is in many ways the fountainhead of all other sins. It is a deadly spiritual cancer in our lives. It's like dry rot in our souls that opens the door to a whole host of other sins. Ingratitude will take us to places that perhaps we never imagined we would go. No wonder then in 2 Timothy 3, Paul includes ingratitude. It's, it's right there in the middle of this long list of evil character traits to watch out for and earnestly avoid. Not just in ourselves, but even to avoid in other people. Being ungrateful, according to 2 Timothy 3, is just as deadly and poisonous as being proud Arrogant, abusive, heartless and treacherous. In fact, as one writer points out, so corrupting and poisonous is the effect of habitual ingratitude in our hearts that if we could only displace it and replace it with gratitude, we would likely find a whole multitude of other sins dislodged from our lives as a result. Gratitude is like a powerful cleansing agent in the Christian heart. If you ever watch laundry detergent adverts, they always make big claims, don't they? I haven't seen one for a while, actually. But, um, but they always used to say things like, you know, they'll make your whites whiter than white. And I don't know, your Daz and Purcell. I don't know if they, I don't buy the laundry detergent, so I don't know what they still sell. But for us, once Jesus' blood has cleansed our hearts from the guilt and the power of sin... Gratitude, I think, is one of the most powerful spiritual detergents a Christian has for attacking sin's remaining presence in our lives. Gratitude has the power to displace and replace a whole host of other besetting sins when we give ourselves to earnestly pursuing thankfulness. Which leads to the third and final reason under this sort of first heading that we should prize and pursue gratitude. And that is because of the transforming effect of a grateful heart. The practice of gratitude, especially in the everyday struggles of life, really can change our perspective on everything. The whole world looks different through grateful eyes. In Philippians 4, Paul talks of having learned to be content in whatever situation he finds himself. The ultimate source of his contentment, he tells us, is Jesus himself and the strength that he provides. But But the daily means to him actually laying hold of that strength was, I'm certain, in large part through finding so much to be grateful for. Paul's letters are just brimming and overflowing with thanksgiving. And it was in praise and thanksgiving that he and Silas were able to experience the most joyful contentment, even after being flogged and painfully imprisoned in Philippi. 
Think how often too in the Psalms we see the suffering psalmist finding similar contentment through thanksgiving. Again and again in the Bible, the practice of gratitude paves the way to greater peace and joy and a greater awareness of God's provision and nearness. So an increasingly grateful heart really is a life-transforming thing. Something that can powerfully preserve us from drowning in doubts and discouragements and anxieties. And a grateful heart in us can dramatically change the lives of those around us as well. Just think about how different you find it to be around, on the one hand, a person who is always ungrateful, maybe always complaining, making demands, venting their frustrations, a person who perhaps has become bitter, irritable and discontent with every little thing. Compare that to being with a person who is consistently characterized by joy and gratitude and thanksgiving for even the smallest everyday things. How different are the effects of those two kinds of people on you? Where the first is soul-destroying to be around for too long, the other is like a continual breath of fresh air, like a life-giving spring that brings continual encouragement and refreshment to our souls. Thankful people can't help but rub off on us. They bring joy and peace. They bring Jesus into our lives through their thankfulness. Nancy uh, Leader Moss writes, it's a difference you can see and feel. Ingratitude is toxic. It poisons the atmosphere in our homes and workplaces. It contaminates hearts and relationships. Mums and dads can break the spirits of their children with it. And husbands and wives can deaden every sensitive emotion in the, ma in the mate they once swore at a church altar to love and to cherish from that day forward. We can be obsessive about spritzing away the disease-carrying, odour-causing bacteria from our tables and countertops. But nothing is more contagious in our homes than an ungrateful spirit. Well, maybe one thing is. Gratitude, I'd say, is equally as contagious as its evil twin. If you're sick and tired of living in a home where all the joy and beauty has been sucked out, through negative, unappreciative words and attitudes, you can make a change. You can become the kind of person you've always wanted to be around. The kind of person who makes Jesus and his gospel winsome to all who come within the reach of your grateful, happy spirit. Grateful Christians are infectious Christians in the best possible way. Grateful Christians also make a compelling witness to those who aren't yet Christians. It was, it was said of the old uh, Puritan preacher, Matthew Henry, that he possessed the desirable disposition and power of looking on the bright side of everything. And I'll just say, if you've ever read Matthew Henry's commentary on the whole Bible, I think this comes through on practically every page. It's just kind of brimming with, with happiness and joy and delight. Uh, this quote goes on, there was a loveliness in his spirit and a gladness in his heart which caused others to feel how happy a thing it must be to be a Christian. Though not given to indulgence, he enjoyed the blessings of providence with thankfulness. His cheerfulness pervaded his entire life. Now maybe as we listen to all of this so far this morning, we might be thinking, Yes, of course, I see the importance of Christians generally being a grateful people. 
But for me right now in my current trials and difficulties, I just find it so difficult to know and remember what it is I have to be grateful for. My present heartache, we might say, seems right now just to consume all of my focus and attention. It's all I can see and all I can think about. And it, and it feels so difficult to get my head above water and remember all of the reasons I have to be grateful. Well, if that's, if that's where you find yourself this morning, first of all, let me say, we all experience different kinds of dark, blinding, numbing clouds of difficulty and despondency in our Christian lives. You're not alone and you are not unusual if that's where you find yourself today. But secondly, it's a reminder of one big reason that we all need each other. We need others often to remind us of all the things we do have to be deeply grateful for. And so that's what we're going to do. We're we're together. Why not do this together while we're here on a Sunday morning? That's what we're going to do next. Heading number two, question number two, what do we have to be grateful for? And the answer in a nutshell is, if you like taking really brief notes, oh so much. Oh, so much. We all have, if we could only see it, blessings from God beyond measure. Count your blessings, said the old hymn. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God hath done. Well, let's, let's begin to just count some of our many blessings together this morning. First of all, we could try to count the blessings of God's common grace. Those gifts and blessings that God graciously bestows on all people, whether they know him and acknowledge him or not. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 45, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so there are so many blessings of God's common grace around us all the time, which are given to us to enjoy. First of all, the sheer beauty of the world that we live in just waiting to be discovered and marveled at in everything from the smallest snowflake to the mightiest mountain. Just unique intricacy and beauty in every flower, every insect, every raindrop, every plant and every tree. Luke 12 verse 27, Jesus encouraged his listeners, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. None of us needs a vault full of gold and riches. Just come to my mind, I used to watch DuckTales as a kid and I think they've remade it. And uh, I did introduce our kids to it again. Uh, And uh, Scrooge McDuck used to dive off a diving board into his massive treasure house. Did anyone ever see this? John's nodding, thank you. Child of the 80s. Swimming in all of his gold, that was where Scrooge McDuck kind of uh, got, got his uh, joy each day. We don't need a vault full of gold and riches or a fancy house full of expensive items in order to see glorious treasures every day. There is beauty all around us in the natural world that is far more glorious for us to enjoy. We are all rich if we're alive and we live in this world right now. Then there are all the things that God provides for life and health and human flourishing. Acts 14 verse 17. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. 
we have food in the fields and food on our tables, clothing, shelter, and more than just the bare necessities too. Then there are the people in our lives, parents, siblings, maybe a spouse, maybe children, friends, neighbours, colleagues, and more. All these good things are intentional gifts from God's hand, revealing his love for those he's made. We are surrounded by them. Every moment of every day, by a million gifts of God's common grace, every one of which gives us reason to be grateful to him. But then to add to those, there are, we're climbing now, this is going to get better and better, the blessings of God's saving grace. The blessings of God's saving grace. And here again is where only as Christians can we truly enter into the fullest freedom of a gratitude-filled life. Because not only do we know who to thank, but we also have the astonishing blessings of God's saving grace to be thankful for as well. Like the knowledge that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Or the reality that God has demonstrated his own love for us in this, that in Christ, in him, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or the fact that we can now enjoy the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ himself, Philippians 3. And we can rest, rest utterly secure in the knowledge that nothing can ever snatch us from his hand. Now, uh, Pete also mentioned just a couple of Sundays ago that occasion in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus' disciples returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name, to which Jesus replied, yes, he'd given them that authority, However, Luke 10, 21, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Because nothing compares to the gift of salvation. There is no earthly blessing or status we might long to have. No spiritual gift or ministry position that can hold a candle to the blessing of having our names written in heaven. To the promise of eternity with God. And yet that is what every single Christian possesses here today. But that's not to say there aren't other priceless gifts and blessings that come to us through Christ's work as well. There are also what we might call the blessings of salvation's many fruits. These are kind of like the, um, the ripples that spread out far and wide across our daily lives once God drops the sort of pebble of his saving grace into our lives. And I, for one, do not stop often enough to think about all of these additional ripple benefits that come because I'm now a child of God. I take so many of them so often for granted. I, I treat them like they're old hat, they're uninteresting, they're just old bits of furniture to fill up the Christian life while we wait to get to heaven. I often fail to appreciate how they give me so many more reasons to rejoice and be thankful right here and now in my daily Christian walk. And I was reading a recent article on gratitude by Mickey Connolly and reminded me of a good number of these. Things like the fact that we have the Holy Spirit as our helper, that we have the Word of God illumined by the Spirit, that we have the privilege of prayer available to us at any time we need it. That we have the church 
a real spiritual family of brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have spiritual gifts generously distributed amongst us for the common good, that the Lord promises to give us wisdom whenever we ask, that we have the promise of God's protection, spiritual armour to put on each day that we might stand against the assaults of the devil, that the Lord is always near to us, that he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us, that his mercies are new every morning, that his goodness and love will follow us all the days of our lives, that even our sufferings are now turned for our everlasting good, used to refine our faith and make us more like Christ and increase our longing for our true heavenly home. Even a list like that is just scratching the surface because as God himself promises in Ephesians 1 verse 3, he has literally blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I cannot even begin to tell you what all of those spiritual blessings are, but they are all ours in Christ. No wonder then that the psalmist turns to his own soul. He's like, right, soul, I'm going to talk to you now. Psalm 103 verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. As believers, we are surrounded by so much fuel and kindling for a life of gratitude and thanksgiving, which should lead us, I hope, thirdly and finally this morning, to eagerly ask the question, okay, how can I grow in gratitude? How can we grow in gratitude? How can I get from here where I am right now to there where I want to be? Well, the first thing to say is that real Christian gratitude is not something that comes naturally to any of us. Just I think it's important to say this. It's not a personality trait that some of us have more naturally than others. No, gratitude takes an act of the will. It's a habit that we need to work on and grow in over time. It is, as someone once said, the fruit of a thousand choices. So what I want to do under this final question is offer as much practical help as I can or as the scriptures can to help us practice gratitude and grow in it and grow in it together. And I must say, I, must say, I found it really helpful. Again, I was so encouraged by Pete's message on joy a couple of weeks ago. And uh, towards the end, as Pete was preaching on joy, he listed some common obstacles to joy followed by some helpful aids to help us grow in joy. And I really found that helpful and I liked it. So I'm going to do something similar with gratitude. I want to address, first of all, five common gratitude killers and then point out five powerful gratitude growers. So first of all, let's, let's begin with gratitude killers. And I just want to say as well, I'm indebted here for the first three in, the, in this list to an excellent book I've read this week called Choosing Gratitude by Nancy Lee DeMoss. I, I quoted once or twice from her already. It's a, it's a wonderful book. If you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to find it. It's got a 30-day devotional in it as well, recognizing that we don't grow in gratitude overnight. So it's a book that takes its time with you. But it's, first three of these I've got sort of directly from her. The first one, the first gratitude killer is unrealistic expectations. Here's what she says. We can start to expect a lot from life, from work, 
from others in general, until no matter what we're receiving in terms of blessing, it's never as much as we were hoping for. Needing God but not always wanting God, we expect others to take the place of God in our lives. Depending on them to guide our decisions, to love us continually and unconditionally, to provide for us emotionally, physically, socially, totally. And when they disappoint us, which inevitably happens, rather than being grateful for God's unchanging love and his faithfulness in meeting our needs, those unfulfilled expectations easily turn to resentment that poisons our hearts and relationships. That's the first big gratitude killer, unrealistic expectations. The second sure way to sabotage our gratitude is through forgetfulness. Forgetfulness is, picture it like this, like a one-way street to ungratefulness. If I'm on the road of, of forgetfulness, guaranteed I will soon be reaching the destination of ungratefulness. It always leads there. This was something, of course, that was a big running theme for Israel. All throughout their wilderness wanderings in the Old Testament, God would charge them again and again to remember what he'd done for them, to take care lest they forgot him, and yet forget him they did again and again and again. Psalm 78 verse 11, they forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Psalm 106 verse 21, they forgot God, their saviour, who had done great things in Egypt. That's a big one, isn't it? They forgot God, the God who had brought them out of Egypt. They forgot him. Such chronic, unforgetful, such chronic forgetfulness leads inevitably to ungratefulness, which leads in turn to just so much misery. The third big gratitude killer is, I think, entitlement, thinking we deserve more than we already have. And unfortunately, the more rich and affluent a society becomes, the more its people are prone to think in terms of the luxuries they deserve. And we live in a very affluent society. It's easy then for you and me, even as Christians, to still look around at what other people have got, even what other Christians have got, Maybe they've got a nicer phone or a nicer car, a nicer house or a nicer job. And, and we can become convinced that surely we deserve all those same nice things as well. All of which feeds our discontentment and kills our gratitude for all of the truly amazing and undeserved things God has in fact already given us. And this sense of entitlement, I think probably quite obviously, flows from pride and from a stubborn blindness to God's grace. It's a blindness to God's grace. When we ignore the fact that we are debtors to mercy alone, when we forget that every good thing we have is not ours because we earned it, because we put in a lot of work for it, but it's only ours because God is rich in mercy and gives us what we don't deserve. Well, if we get that wrong, we will just harbour in our hearts this deadly gratitude killer of entitlement. Entitlement's like a, a thief in disguise. It, it seems to promise so much. It seems to promise, I, I can bring you more joy, more satisfaction in life. Just desire these things and go after these things. But it is a thief in disguise because it robs us of so much comfort and contentment and grateful delight in God. 
And the fourth and final gratitude killer I would add, and just to say, I'm sure there are more, that might be something for us to do in our groups, is to think of more gratitude killers. But I want to add this fourth and final one, and that is grumbling and complaining. Grumbling and complaining. Now these, I think, can seem like small things, but they are actually hugely significant sins. John Beeson writes, when we grumble, we declare our distrust in God's sovereign rule over our lives. It was Israel's grumbling. They did a whole lot of other bad things, but it was their grumbling against God on the borders of the promised land that led them to being sentenced 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And this for me as well is is one of the things most guaranteed to make my already ungrateful heart, more miserable. And and that's when I begin to verbalize and speak aloud my complaints. When I do that, when I speak forth my complaints, speak forth my ungratefulness, I only grow more ungrateful. So I've noticed, for instance, recently, um, I hope most of you haven't heard this, but I suspect my family might have done, I, I find myself often given to sighing, a sort of, Oh, kind of noise. See, I'm well practiced at it, sadly. And, uh, and I'm doing it. I've, I've just no- recently noticed myself doing it at just the smallest inconveniences. Um, so I'll give you an example. A few days ago, I think it was Thursday evening, I, I found myself with a trio of inconveniences all rolled into one evening. None of them huge. First one was a, a trip to the delivery office to collect a parcel and they'd closed early. And I grumbled. And then I arrived home to find a mattress that we'd had delivered was the wrong one and was now blocking one of the upstairs bedrooms and I moaned. And then finally, sitting down to write a strongly worded note, I can see tears in your eyes by now, it was a hard night, (laughs) sitting down to write a note to an airline to ask where my lost luggage was, which had been missing for over a week. Uh, Do pray that it turns up at some point. And uh, ironically, while I'm sitting down writing this strongly worded email, I'm trying to be gracious in my email. But I then proceed to moan and grumble to my whole family when I get off writing the email. And so I'm dragging them down with me in my sighing. Now, it's not like any of those things were good things or convenient things or welcome things. But they were, after all, only very small things in comparison to the incredible things I could have been giving thanks for that evening. But the temptation to grumble gained the upper hand with me and it, and it shaped my words and shaped my whole demeanour towards God and the people around me. So what things can tip our hearts in the other direction? What things can replace our sighing with singing and help us put on an attitude of gratitude instead? Let's, let's talk about some. And uh, important this morning, just to satisfy my quota recently of at least one gardening-related illustration per sermon, I'll just say that I've often looked with envy on the lushness and the greenness of the lawn in my in-law's garden, Lizzie's parents' garden, compared to ours, which ours looks like a goat has run loose on it. But the big difference, it turns out, between the two is that they regularly get someone in to use lawn feed on their garden. And the difference it makes is obvious and it's beautiful. So here then are what I think are some of the most biblical and effective gratitude feeders, like lawn feed, but better, 
feeds, feed us to be poured liberally into our hearts each day to encourage growth in gratitude. One of the best gratitude feeders, in fact, is what we already did in point two, you know, to remind ourselves of all the blessings we have to be thankful for. But here are four more to go along with it. First of all, clothe yourself with humility. There is such a strong link between a humble heart and a grateful heart. If we could only just stop and routinely reflect on who we are, finite creatures before an infinite God, owing every breath to his mighty power and life-giving grace, sinners before his spotless holiness, deserving of hell and death, but who instead in Jesus have been blessed with eternal life and the promise of a new heaven and a new earth to one day enjoy forever. What a contrast there is between what we deserve and what we instead receive. A humble mind, Henry Ward Beecher once said, is the soil out of which thanks naturally grows. So clothe yourself with humility. The second gratitude feeder flows on, I think, naturally from the first, and that is to put the needs of others before yourself. The less full of concerns about myself that I can, I can, I can become, the less concerned I can become about myself, the less focused I can become on my needs and my hurts, my rights and my desires, the more grateful I will be. And one of the best ways to take our attention off ourselves is to look to the needs of others. To, in humility, count others more significant than ourselves. To, to be generous to others. Eager to bless others rather than simply gratifying ourselves. Generous people are some of the most grateful people in the world and in the church. Just have a look later on at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 to see how closely generosity and gratitude are woven together. Focusing on the needs of other people as well can help us to rejoice with those who rejoice. If, we, if when we see God blessing another believer with something we don't have, maybe we'd like it, we don't have it, but, but if when we see him blessing someone else with it, we can rejoice with them rather than resent them and envy them, then we could just exponentially multiply all of the reasons we have to give thanks because the simple sight of seeing God blessing anyone be it us or someone else would be music to our ears and food to our souls okay the third gratitude feeder is to pursue contentment in all circumstances this is to learn like Paul did in Philippians 4 the secret of being content in Christ in every situation because the more content we are with Jesus the more we'll be able to give thanks, whatever's going on. Even in the midst of painful trials and troubles, just like Paul and Silas with their feet in the stocks, we will find ourselves able to sing songs of thanks and praise late into the night because of all that we have to be thankful for in Christ. Fourthly and finally, express gratitude with actual thanksgiving express gratitude with actual thanksgiving here's the thing I would have tended to think of myself as being relatively grateful day to day and members of my family there's only one here but would probably already start to disagree but that, that's kind of how I thought of myself but it struck me again this week thanksgiving 
actually involves giving thanks. It actually involves expressing gratitude in words. And that's where I massively fall down. Because although I like to think I've got quite a grateful heart, I don't let it flow out nearly so often into thanksgiving. I often keep what little gratitude I have got to myself. But biblically, gratitude is not really fully complete until it is expressed and spoken. Now the question is, should we wait until we're feeling 100% grateful before we speak forth words of gratitude? Or does the act of giving thanks actually awaken more gratitude within us? Well, I think biblically it's clearly the second. Because we're commanded to give thanks continually however we're feeling. And often in the Psalms it's through giving thanks that the psalmist's hope and gratitude is reawakened and restored. The Psalms call on God's people again and again to give thanks, even with loud singing. Psalm 95 verses 1 to 3. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. When we grumble and complain, it only makes us more unhappy and ungrateful. But when we take every opportunity to thank God for the blessings that surround us, it only increases our feelings of gratefulness. And all of those attending comforts that come with that peace and joy and contentment as well. And this goes for expressing our gratitude to other people too. Letting them know how grateful to God we are both for the work that he's doing in their life and how grateful we are to them for the many kindnesses, big and small, that they show us. We ought always to give thanks to God for one another, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. Words of gratitude in our relationships are a powerful thing. So much so that that I, I truly believe if you want to restore lost affection, maybe for your spouse, or for a difficult child, or for another believer, someone to whom, towards whom, for whatever reason, your heart has grown cool or is even irritated, start by expressing gratitude, both to them and for them again today. Make every effort to spend the next month daily, every day, giving thanks for them. I think I can guarantee that with the Spirit's help, your affection for them and your gratitude for them will be rekindled. And even if we don't have broken relationships that need healing this morning, let's all be asking ourselves, who in my life needs a word of thanks from me or would be helped by a word of thanks from me? Who, who could I encourage today with a simple expression of thanks? Well, to conclude, we are, as we've seen, of all people to be a thankful people, to give thanks in all circumstances, to speak and sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God, to always give thanks to God for each other, to abound in thanksgiving. But let me end with just one vitally important reminder. That is that the Lord did not save us and did not set his love upon us because we were a grateful people. Quite the reverse. The Lord sets his mercy upon the ungrateful. He showered our thankless hearts with undeserved favour in Christ. He saved us from the penalty for all of our ungratefulness. And in so doing, he gave us 10,000 new reasons and more to give thanks. 
And he didn't stop there. He put his spirit within us, giving us new and grateful hearts that we might finally now, as his blood-bought children, begin to think and speak and sing as grateful people. So remember this morning, God is therefore utterly for us and with us as we strive to grow in this virtue of gratitude. The Lord is near. Let us bring our request to him with thanksgiving. Let's pray.